0: I had no coping mechanism, so my drinking got progressively worse. My drinking from 33 to 41 was hugely dangerous and problematic. I would tell myself I wasn't going to drink again, you know, on the Monday. I'd say, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'd be so tired. I'd be so ashamed. Shame is something that played a huge part in me struggling to get help. I was terrified to tell somebody how bad it was. But I'd be drinking again by the Tuesday. I'd be lucky if I got one day sobriety in all those years, you know, on and off one day, one day. And then I'd feel all right. And I'd think, I'd either think, oh, I can just have another drink, or I'd think I'd be so scared or so sad or so ashamed of my behavior. I needed that instant escapism.
1: Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support.
2: Hello, hello. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone you need to find a new tribe. Social norms are so powerful and that's why connecting you with others on the same path will keep you on track and inspire you to keep going. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. It's a community where everyone strives for an alcohol-free lifestyle and many of our members are already thriving in their alcohol-free lives and inspiring others. So each week we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe.
0: I found Tribe Sober, and after sort of hanging around on the edge, I joined up in July and I haven't looked back. I mean, I really haven't looked back. Um, I've looked at before, yeah, okay. I've looked at AA, I've looked at rehab. I thought they were the only two things out there, but I just love the approach for Tribe Sober. It's not so draconian. It's, it's relaxed, but I don't want that to sound as if it's, it's, it's easy because it's not. But I, I really, it, it really is me, Janet. You know, i you know, I've found people like me, you know, I'm not alone out there.
2: So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Or if you'd like to try us out first, then why not sign up for our next five-day sobriety boot camp, which is absolutely free. It takes place from the 2nd to the 6th of October. Five days of connection, training and tasks to get you started or restarted on your sobriety journey. Everything is recorded so you can catch up in your own time zone if you can't watch us live. No obligation, just hang out, connect with others on the same path, ask questions and learn. Get to know us a bit. You can sign up today, just go to tribesober.com and you'll see it on the homepage. My guest today is Kirsty from Sober Buzz in Scotland. Her work is focused on supporting people to go alcohol free and coaching people who are sober and are asking themselves, what next? Because many people think that once they've managed to quit drinking, everything will fall into place and be perfect. But I agree with Kirsty; It's a two-part journey. We need to ditch the booze and then go on to create a life we don't want to escape from. So I began by asking Kirsty to introduce herself.
0: Good morning, thank you so much. Um, I'm Kirsty and I am in Edinburgh, Scotland. I am the founder of Sober Buzz Scotland and I also have my own transformational coaching company, a business which is called Skyrose Coaching and the majority of my work that I do is supporting people to live an alcohol-free life or supporting people who are already, already alcohol-free and are now thinking what to do, do with all this lovely new time that I have on my hands?
2: Exactly. That's the thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm sober. Now what? There's two stages to this journey, isn't there? Very much. Mm -hmm. So let's dive into your drinking story, shall we? When did it all start? As a teenager?
0: Yes, as a teenager. As many people know, Scotland's got a really, really bad reputation for our relationship with alcohol. And like many people that I speak to here in Scotland, I started drinking when I was 14. So four years younger than the legal age limit in the UK. This is quite well documented. I don't mind sharing it. The first time I drank, which was with older people, people that were a few years older than me at school, I had to get my stomach pumped in hospital. I drank so much and when I look back now, I have a daughter who is 19, so five years older than I was and she's tiny and so was I. I mean, I still am a small woman and when I look back at pictures of me back then, it just is so sad to think that I've done that. For me, when that happened and I've thought about this a lot through my own sobriety journey, over that weekend my life changed completely because on the Friday when I was at school, I loved school. I was good at PE, I was really good at modern studies and English and history I loved all those subjects. I mean I was fairly outspoken but when I went back to school after having my stomach pumped and everybody knew I had to be this really bold and quite had to be quite hardened when I went back to school I, I almost had to just leave my group of friends and, and and sort of try and side with the people that I had got drunk with because I was so scared and I think that that was a massive turning point in my life and I left school really early after that I think it completely changed the trajectory of my yeah. of my younger years and at the time I didn't realize that at all you know and I just wanted to be part of part of her crowds and I think that that's the sobriety thing as well. People are so scared. Who am I going to be? Who are my people going to be when I get yeah. sober? And that's why you and I do the stuff that we do because they're mm-hmm. such a beautiful community. So yeah, I was 14. It didn't stop me massively. I went on to to travel abroad at 17. I was really young when I went abroad. Life wasn't very easy for me at home. So it was quite a good escape to get abroad. And I drank solid and took recreational drugs until I was 21 when I lived abroad. So I don't think that story's Maybe apart from the ended up in hospital the first time, but I don't think my journey is all that different from many people, you know, just Mm -hmm. getting involved in drinking. And that's kind of how your life goes. And what changed,
2: Kirsty, when you were 21, you came back to the UK?
0: UK? So I came back to the UK under the pretense of saving up some more money because I'd lost my passport at a party in Italy. And um, I was going to save up money and I was going to go travelling again. But I didn't. I fell in love. And I'm so grateful for that because I had ended up having my daughter when I was 27. So my daughter's called Sky. Sky's dad and I met when I was in my early 20s. We had a great time. I mean, I still am very, very close to him and his family. But we separated when Sky was one. So at 27, I became a single mum. And that was quite difficult because my parents weren't happy about that. My mum was very old fashioned. And at the age of 27 was when I knew that I had a problem with alcohol. And I didn't stop until I was 41. So that's 14 years of knowing. And you'll know this, you know, you're thinking all the time, this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. But I had no idea how to stop. And also my whole personality at that time was tied up in being the party girl. When Skye was at her dad's at the weekend, I was out partying. But the darkness came, the real darkness came because I started drinking alone at night.
2: Yeah. And you know that long period that you were—you knew that you had a problem, but you were stuck because you didn't know what to do about it. There's been some research into the length of that period recently. Have you seen it? I've heard it's about yeah. The Tempest. Mm-hmm. And they asked hundreds of people in recovery, how long was it? You know, since the moment you thought, oh, I've got a problem here, till the moment you reached out and got some help. And the average was 11 years. Yeah. When I first heard that, I thought, what? Can't be. But then when I thought about my story, I spent at least 11 years moderating and failing and cutting down and failing. So a lot of people are stuck in that, that place as well. Did you do that? Did you um, try and
0: moderate or you didn't even bother? Three days before my 34th birthday, my mum died very suddenly. My drinking got worse and worse at that point. I did not know anybody who was sober. I didn't have anybody that I looked at that I thought that's what I want to do. Like, you know, I I didn't know where to turn at at that time. When I was 27, I went to AA for one night and I went to one really um, central in Edinburgh, in the centre of Edinburgh. And at the time, that was filled with people that we would maybe call street drinkers, you know, people who were really vulnerable people, people who were living on the streets. So at that time, I thought, oh gosh, this is not me. And, you know, I left and I thought, I I don't think I'm ever going to find the way to do this. At 33, when my mum died, I was left with a huge amount of responsibilities. We were all shocked. My mum was a really healthy woman. She died very, very suddenly. And these responsibilities piled on top of me. I had my mum's responsibilities and she'd done a lot of my childcare for when I was at work. So I was having to do all this and I had no coping mechanism. So my drinking got progressively worse. My drinking from 33 to 41 was hugely dangerous and problematic. I would tell myself I wasn't going to drink again, you know, on the Monday. I'd say, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'd be so tired. I'd be so ashamed. Shame is something that played a huge part in me struggling to get help. I was terrified to tell somebody how bad it was. But I'd be drinking again by the Tuesday. I'd be lucky if I got one day sobriety in all those years, you know, on and off, one day, one day. And then I'd feel all right. And I'd, think, I'd either think, oh, I can just have another drink. Or I'd think I'd be so scared or so sad or so ashamed of my behavior. I needed that instant escapism. And I'm talking in hindsight now, so now I can see why I done that. And when I look yeah, yeah. at when I look at that young woman, because 33 is not old, you know. And I mean, I'm, when I think about what I, I'm so proud of myself, even through my drinking, I'm so proud that I kept it together, and you know, and I managed to hold down a job, and I managed to get my daughter to school. My daughter's done really well. And but I look back, and I feel so so sad for her because she was terrified. No, I didn't. I didn't have any prolonged periods of sobriety or abstinence. I desperately wanted them. But all the things in my head were, how do you do that? Who will I be? Will I have no friends? What if people don't, don't want to be my friend anymore? But the biggest one was people will know I've got a problem.
2: Yeah.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
2: It's ironic, isn't it, that when you do stop, you get asked, oh, have you got a problem then? Yeah, 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 and no, I, was yeah. just, I was just thinking about you as a single parent, you know, holding down the job and looking after your daughter and your other responsibilities. Just think of the energy that you are putting into all yeah. that. And that's what strikes me now, that when we're sober, we can rechannel that energy into something so much more constructive, obviously. Yeah. So, So well done. You for holding it all together. Thank you. Must have taken some doing. <laughs> Thank
0: you. I, I, when I look back, I'm not sure how I how I done it. I think as well when we have a problem, when we we're, when we are problem drinkers or problem drug takers, there's drug takers that follow my page as well. We don't believe we we deserve anything, you know, so Mm. we put all our time and effort into everybody else because I think we're such people pleasers. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to please people because, you know, it's good to please who we love and care for. But to the point where I was bending myself completely out of shape to make sure that nobody questioned what was going on in my life. You know, So I was everything for everybody, spreading myself so thinly. So when I came home at night, and the time that I should be thinking, what do I actually need? And that's something that I say to my clients, what do you really need? I didn't have the capacity to think about that. So I just reached for another bottle. So, yeah, I think, you know, all the energy went into everybody else, but none of that energy came back to me. And my dad, who's still with us now, is a very complex character. And he took my dad, my mum's death, very, very difficultly. And he still struggles now after, you know, my mum's been dead almost 14 years. I really was on my own. My mum had continually looked out for me, you know, and all of a sudden I was like, I have no one. That's how it felt. So, yeah, it was, there there was just no opportunity. Nobody saying to me, like, come on, you know, let's just stop this because one, they didn't know how bad it was. Two, they were involved in their own stuff.
2: Yeah. And we put so much energy into making out that everything's fine, you know, don't we as well? That's another huge effort because we don't want to be vulnerable. It's only when we embark on this journey that we can be vulnerable, I think. And that's always such a relief for people, isn't it? To realise, oh, I'm not the only one in this fix, you know, and people and I can express myself honestly and I can ditch the shame really.
0: That's what the change was for me was ditching the shame. And and I'm glad you touched on vulnerability. And I'm sure many people will know of Bre- uh, Brene Brown's work. When I am vulnerable to those that I love and those that I care, that's when my heart space opens up even more. And it's my greatest strength has been able to say, mm-hmm. okay, this is difficult for me, or this is this is not something that I'm enjoying at the moment. And it allows so much more. And I would never have dreamed of thinking that that would have been a thing. You know, I would have thought that was my biggest weakness. Yeah. yeah. Whereas now it's brought so much into my life.
2: Yeah, and that's what's wonderful about the recovery community because yeah. we can all connect so quickly because we're honest and open about what's what's happened or what's happening in our life. Did you have a rock bottom? How did it play out?
0: Well, I think when I first got drunk, <laughs> got my stomach pumped. Yeah. 14. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many rock bottoms, and for me a rock bottom would happen, and then I would move the goalpost. So if somebody had said to me in my early drinking career, what will you do if you black out and you wake up in somebody's house and you don't know who they are? I would say, well, I will never drink again. And then that happened, of course, many times, and I moved the goalpost. What, you know, and I, I kept moving it and kept moving it, because also, if nobody knows, nobody really knows. You know, You're kind of holding that to yourself. But that morning that I stopped drinking, which was the 27th of December, 2017, so five years past December, I woke up. It wasn't all that remarkable. I had alcohol all over the house, you know, empty bottles. I was also a recreational drug user at the time. There was drug par- paraphernalia in the house. My daughter was, wasn't was here. She was at her dad's. And I actually got on my knees, literally got on my knees and said, I can't do this anymore. I, I just can't do this anymore. And I, I don't know if I spoke to, finally spoke to my own soul or if, you know, my divine guidance heard me then or, you know, universal energy or it was my mum. I don't know what happened. My best friend came down, she cleared up all the mess, she told me to get to sleep and when I woke up that afternoon I signed myself into a crisis centre because I was mentally absolutely shot and I had been for years. I was terrified, I was so so scared, I actually thought I was going to die and I know that sounds so big but I just, my heart was racing so much I could not think correctly, I didn't think I was going to kill myself. Thankfully, being a mum had stopped those thoughts of doing it, but there was the thoughts of it would be easier if I had died. At this time, I thought, I don't want to die. I, I can't die. So I went to the crisis centre. After New Year, I somehow just managed not to drink one day at a time, one day at a time, and it was hell. I was I had the worst, worst DTs. I was shaking. I was sick. I couldn't eat. I, everything was just passing right through me. I eventually got to the doctor 10 days after I'd stopped drinking, thinking he was going to give me a big gold star and say, you're amazing. When I told him how much I'd been drinking, he said, you could have died. He said, you know, you should never have stopped. Because at that point, I was drinking maybe three or four bottles of wine at a time. On top of that, I was drinking spirits. Um, It had been nonstop at this point for months and months Mm -hmm. and months. He gave me a referral to a drug and alcohol centre in Edinburgh, which is just around the corner from me, and they gave me some smart recovery groups that I went to a couple. But the thing that changed for me was I no longer... I thought, what do I really crave? What do I really crave? And I knew that I craved love and compassion. Um, I was desperate for love, and I looked in all the wrong places when I was drinking, you know, some really dangerous places and some really ridiculous places. And for me, what that meant at that time was how can I care for myself? I couldn't, today I love myself. Back then, I I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I thought, how can I care for myself? How can I be compassionate? And that meant going to bed as soon as dinner was had because it meant I couldn't, you know, I I wasn't drinking. It meant drinking water. It meant eating. It meant being truthful with my friends. It meant, you know, just taking it hour by hour. I've kept all my journals. I started a gratitude practice the day I got sober. Occasionally, I, I look back at them and, you know, I was writing in my journal that I was really proud of myself that I had, got to lunchtime and I wasn't drinking. I'd got to night time and I wasn't drinking. I'd woke up in the morning and I wasn't drinking. And I don't know how it stuck. I have no idea. But as I got further away from drinking, as I got further away from now remember I had never taken any time off it. As I got further away, all of a sudden I was creating a space in my head where I could say, yeah. Okay, so what do you want? What do you need? And it was beautiful. I told some white lies in the beginning. I, I told my friends, my closest friends, that I had a stomach problem, which was not untrue because when I was drinking, my stomach was wrecked. And I was advised, you know, by my doctor that I had to stop mm. drinking. So that gave me space. And they were say things like, but you will drink for my birthday. And I just used to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Known fine well that that's not what I wanted, but it allowed me that. You know, that space to explore what was going on for me. And then about six months over, you know, I I finally thought, oh, my God, I'm doing sobriety, you know, because I wasn't allowing myself to think that I was doing sobriety for those first six months. I was just thinking I need to stay alive. That was in my head. I thought I can't die. I don't want to die. That was the big moment on that day. I don't want to die. I, I need to be alive. And that that means still to this day not drinking. Yeah, I'm
2: sure. I mean, someone like you, if you just had one glass, that would be it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because we we still have those pathways in our brain from the old drinking days, I think. Wow, well well done you. And gosh, yeah, the thought of you stopping completely after drinking that much, you definitely could have done, yeah. as that doctor yeah. said. You're a survivor, I can tell that. So six months, you got through six months with no slip ups and then just just kept going. But yeah, that what you say about that space, I know exactly what you mean, because we can't think clearly when we're drinking because we're not in touch with ourselves, are we? And as you say, we don't know what we want. You know, half of the time we're tired and we just need to go to bed and sleep. But we think, oh, I just need a drink and then I'll be all
0: right. So six months. And then how did it carry
2: on after that?
0: What was that first year like? Um, it was head down to, to, to year one. You know, like once I started to realise I was doing sobriety, because sobriety, you'll know as well, it's not a destination. It's the journey that we're on mm. now, you know. So it was very much head down to a year. But I started to feel really proud of it. And I remember telling my nail technician, who's also my one of my really good friends, and she couldn't believe it. Everybody was saying, how the fuck have you done this? Because I was known for being such a big drinker. She said, do "You know, I think I would like to have you know some periods off it." And then she said, "And I've got some friends who would like to do that as well." So we all met up, and we eventually started a page um called Sober Sober As Fuck Sober AF Edinburgh, and it was just kind of like a bit of a, a blog, just saying you know we live sober and we're having a good a good life, and that was great at the time. Um, my first page was anonymous, but then I had done this page with these girls at about nine or ten months, and then I got my year sobriety under my belt. I got sober in December. My birthday's also in December, but I'm always far more excited about my sobriety birthday than I yeah. am about my, my actual birthday. So I got to a year sober and I knew I would never drink again. I can comfortably say that. There's been one occasion in the five years, very sadly, one of my cats was killed very suddenly outside my house. And I had one moment of thinking, oh God, I could just have a drink. But I've never really, there's not been a, a temptation to do it because my life is so different. It is like yeah. night and day different. So yeah, about a a year sober, Sober Buzz came about. So Sober Buzz is a huge online community, originally for people in Scotland, but we have people all over the world on Sober Buzz now. And my idea was to hold sober events because I'm buzzing with my sober life. and (laughs) It went well in the beginning. We had sober events. We had um, people meet up and chat. And then like the rest of the world, we came into lockdown. And Sober Buzz shifted completely. Sober Buzz became a really um, important space for people in Scotland to meet. And I used to hold Zoom meetings three or four times a week. I was doing them in the evening, and I was doing them on a Sunday morning randomly in scotland we had really good weather in the first lockdown so people were thinking feeling like they were on holiday in the beginning and they were drinking a lot and all of a sudden they were thinking my god i'm drinking every day so sober buzz became a place for people to come on and share their experiences of trying out sobriety or trying out abstinence for the first time i met some of my closest friends that i have now through that when we all supported one another i didn't necessarily need support for drinking I needed support because I was on my own. You know, I was the only adult in this house and um, lockdown was hellishly difficult as it was for everybody, you know, for a variety of reasons. So Sober Buzz all of a sudden became this massive support network rather than this place where we're going to go out and celebrate our sobriety. But I'm ever so grateful for that time because, yeah, it gave me some of the most amazing friendships and I had just qualified as a transformational coach as well. So it allowed me to share my experiences and share Mm. my, my resources that I had. Yeah, so that was great. And I've skipped on a bit. You know, I used to work for a corporate company for years. I had a really good job in the corporate world. And I decided that I wanted to just leave that once I got sober. I was a year and a half sober. And I was like, I'm going to do something. And everybody's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm leaving. And I was very lucky and very privileged that I worked in a prison in Edinburgh, supporting offenders in recovery for 12 months just before lockdown. So I had all that experience. I still Mm -hmm. volunteer in that kind of work at the moment, um, which I love. I love doing that work. I love supporting our most vulnerable. I think that's a really important thing that we, that we should be thinking about doing. Um, the majority of crimes, crimes that I, the people that I spoke to in prison, they had, their gateway drug was alcohol or it, or it was alcohol that they were on when they were doing yeah. this. So yeah. I believe there's a lot of work to do in Scotland, particularly around that. At one point I was working as a call centre manager and the next thing I was on the halls in a prison supporting offenders, you know, in in their recovery journey. So it's not only changed my life, I know, and I'm quite comfortable to say, I know that I've changed the lives of so many by me getting I'm
2: sure you have. I'm sure you have. That's amazing. What about your hard drinking friends? You know, the ones that said, you will come and drink on my (laughs) birthday, won't you?
0: Are they still around? (laughs) Yes. So I have three. I've got lots of friends, but three of them are the friends that have known me since I came back from living abroad. There's nothing like your your oldest friends to keep your feet firmly on the ground. You know, in the beginning, I had to say to them, "I don't want to come and meet you in the pub." You know, let's go for lunch, let's go for brunch, let's go. But tomorrow we're going for dinner. They'll drink, and I'll I'll have my mocktails or my alcohol-free drinks. But I think we need to be realistic as well and say, you know, I lost a lot of friends, and yeah. I wanted to lose some of those friends. This is a worry for people because they say, "What about if I lose friends?" If you take out the fact that it's because of the alcohol, we lose friends throughout our life. You know, we, we go through the, whether we become maybe a parent or you get divorced and you lose friends through that. I've been divorced and you lose friends through that. You know, friends are there for a season, a reason, and a, and a lifetime. And my lifetime friends have stuck by me. Other people were drinking acquaintances and I lent on them so I could feel more comfortable about my drinking at the time. But the hardcore friends, They've calmed down a bit. Do you know, lots of people have stopped drinking since I've stopped drinking. I've got friends that don't drink anymore because I stopped.
2: When we do get sober, we we influence people without even knowing it and without them knowing it, but at least we're an example because you know what you were saying earlier about you didn't know anybody that didn't drink. And if you're in that place, you think, well, how does it work? (laughs) But if you can see people that are enjoying their life and they're sober, then you start thinking, you know, maybe I could do that. Talk to me about your daughters. Did you used to
0: talk about your drinking to her when you drank? No, no. I i, no. I just, it was like the big elephant in the room. You know, it just wasn't okay. spoken about. I've been sober for, for over a quarter of my daughter's life, which just gives me such a buzz. And I've spoken very openly. There's alcoholism on my side of the family. So she's also aware of that. I had my big event in Glasgow, as you know, about in January. Mm. I had a, a, a sold out an event of 100 people, and my daughter came to that. I stood up and I I told a part of that story about drinking at 14 and how I I lost who I was on a weekend. At the end, my daughter was on her feet and she was clapping and afterwards she said, I'm so proud of you mum. But she is her own person, so she's still Hmm. living like a 19 year old, as she should be, you know, she's out there having fun, but there's this open line of communication. I'm so grateful for my sobriety because I think if I was still drinking and I was concerned about my daughter's drinking. I don't think I'd be able to have those conversations as comfortably as I do now for the fear that she would say to me, yeah, but you drink as much or you do this or you do that.
2: Exactly. Without the fear of
0: being a hypocrite, really. Yeah,
2: You're obviously thriving in your sobriety. Talk to me about the main benefits. If you ha- There's so many, I know. But if you had to pick three or three top benefits, what would they be? To someone listening to this, yeah. that is maybe where we used
0: to be and think, oh, how does that work? I think, um, oh God, we could probably do 17 podcasts on this. But for me, the way I talk about myself and the way I care about myself and the way that I see myself, I love who I am now. And I can hold who I was as a wee girl and as a teenager and as a single mum and as that that scared, scared woman who lost her mum. I hold that person with such care and love in my heart, which allows me to move on because when I was stuck in that shame cycle, there was no moving on. I used to stand in the shower and say out loud, I hate myself. That ability to care for myself, that is priceless because I spent 14 years of my life thinking that I was the worst person ever. So that that has to be up there because by me caring for myself and loving for myself, it allows me to be able to do that for other people. Having time back, I spent all my time thinking about when am I going to stop drinking. Time is our most precious commodity. And the people... It has brought people into my life that I would never have imagined that that I would meet and, and care for and love. The people that I get to support and help, I love people. Like, I really enjoy meeting people. So for me, that's the, the, the three main... There's so much more. My health, my mental health is... Well, I suppose that's the first thing I touched on. My mental health was so short that now that I feel really comfortable in who I am. It's the best thing in the world. To me, it's the best life hack that I can ever, ever imagine. I'm 47, it's 46, it's coming for 47, and I've never felt so alive or so young or so healthy. Like, you can't buy that. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, if imagine if they
2: sold a pill that made us look younger, feel younger, full of energy, more happy. I mean, we'd all be queuing up to get it, wouldn't we? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think as well, I think the confidence that it's given me. You know, I said at the beginning, I was terrified to say no to people in case... They'd say you're an alcoholic. (laughs) I thought that's and the confidence now to be able to say no, thank you, I don't want to do that, or yes, please, I would love to do that. As I say, I do my gratitude journal every single day, and every day I write why I'm grateful to be sober. And there's 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 always something to write about because my life is in technical. It's beautiful. I have the most beautiful life. It's about having this lightness and this excitement. What does today bring? What is today going to bring to me? Yeah.
2: And we do learn to love ourselves in sobriety, don't we? I mean, that's something we, we never think about when we think, shall I give up drinking? How does that work? But we do. We learn to love ourselves. And the confidence is interesting, what you said there, because so many of us drank in the first place to to be more confident to fit in, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, it robs you of confidence and it just makes your anxiety so much worse, doesn't it? Yeah. And one of the things that I love about sobriety is that you kind of rediscover everyday pleasures, you know, those small things that when you're drinking, they just passes you by, but just going for a walk in nature and playing
0: with your cat,
2: playing with my dog, <laughs> just little things yeah. and
0: you, you just enjoy every moment, really. Yeah. I, I run a couple of groups and, and when I speak to my clients and I, I talk to them about Making a list of joy. And I actually shared mine with my group the other day there. My list of joy is things like having a coffee as the sun comes yeah. up in the morning. It is, you know, listening to my favourite album, George Harris and all things must pass. It is doing some journaling. I live close to the sea. It is walking down and looking at the sea. It's not things that I've had to save lots of money for. It's not things mm. that are taking a huge amount out, out of my day or, or, or time or money. It's the small pleasures that make my heart sing every day. And I think, how did I not notice that this is what life was like before? Every day feels like it's a gift to me. And that is cheesy, but it it is every single day. Yeah. And I think, as you say, Kirsty,
2: you can wake up in the morning and you can start looking forward to those really small pleasures. You know, I'm going for a walk and I'm going to have my coffee in the sun and I'm going to meet that person. When I was drinking, I was always planning things in the future. You know, I want to go on this holiday. I want to do that next. It was all about yeah. displacement. But now I can just be with myself and be happy.
0: This movement is huge. You'll know that. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's really taken off. People are opening their eyes. People are saying, This has sold me a big lie. This yeah. you touched me yeah. here. This isn't making me confident. This isn't making me sexy. Remember, like, wait, I'll have a glass of wine and i look hot. You know, five glasses of wine and I looked a hot mess. People are starting to see that, and I think there's. it's so heartening to hear more and more people talk freely about why they're sober, and it's allowed me to do a job that I absolutely love.
1: Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com that's janet j-a-n-e-t at tribesober.com and we'll send you an invitation
2: yeah i mean we've been manipulated haven't we for decades by the liquor industry by marketing to to believe that we need this stuff to to be happy so uh, it's wonderful i I agree it's a kind of movement and people are fighting back and we've got all these alcohol free drinks. I mean, I gave up seven years ago and there was nothing. But these days, there's even here in South Africa, we've got an online store with more than 100 choices. So that's great. You don't have to feel deprived when you socialize anymore, which is, is quite a big part of it. So, yeah, we get to help people to actually thrive in their sobriety. I always say to people, this there's so much more to this than not drinking. That's like 10%, isn't it? And then the rest, we get to open up our lives because we've got space in our head to think, what do I really want out of my life? Surely
0: I'm not going to drink it away, which is very easy to do. The, the dark things still happen. The, the, tough yeah, times, yeah. the tough times still come. But when I put down the alcohol, it allowed me to finally grieve for my mum 14 years after she died. It allowed me to work through a relationship breakdown. It doesn't just, as you say, it's 10% not drinking. The other 90% is maybe working on things that have happened in the past, but also building a life where you are thriving and not just surviving. You know, that's what I was doing. I was just surviving, you know, drinking, getting up in the morning, starting again. And t- to do this thriving, we have to do all the work, don't we? It's, yeah. But the, the tough work is so much easier because we're, we've taken that massively important and brave as you know for MD listening who doesn't doesn't know how to start or it's such a brave thing to even know that you want to change. You know, it's it's a, it's an incredible thing that you want to do and you will reap the benefits a hundredfold. Yeah. And as you say, nobody
2: really wants to go back to drinking. But I say to people sometimes, give it a year. And if you want to drink again, drink again. And yeah. very few people do. I do meet people that have fallen off the wagon in maybe year two or on their soberversary, had a glass of champagne to celebrate a year sober. <laughs> They've fallen off again, but they, they want to get back. And yeah. they always say, oh, it was so great when I was sober and I'm struggling to get back there. There's, there's so much going for it, as you say. If someone's listening to this and they, they don't know how to get started. Let's, talk to us a bit more about that. What What should they do? They should listen and learn, I guess, mm-hmm. podcasts and books.
0: Yeah. What else can they try? I always suggest, you know, write down why you want to make this change, you know. Yeah. I always say do it at the back of your notebook because the further you, like, you get away from drinking, in the beginning your whys will be like, because I feel terrible, I hate being hungover, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. But the further you get away from drinking, it'll be because I feel great, I had a good night's sleep last night, my skin's improving, my relationships are better, so, you know, get down your whys. My business is called Sky Rose Coaching and... My daughter is called Sky, and my niece is called Rose. They were two of my biggest wives, you know, just to mm. really focus a bit on them. Immerse yourself in all things lit. So either the books or the podcasts, get a, an anonymous Instagram page if you don't want to be known at the moment, start following, curate your feed, curate your social media feed yeah. of people like us or, you know, in, Scotland, in the UK we have the Sober Girls Society, all, get all these pages. Look up hashtags like Sober UK, Sober South Africa, um, Sober Curious, Insta Sober, you know, really make. Because if you're like me and you're thinking, who's sober and what are they doing? And if you're looking around thinking nobody's sober, it, it might seem quite an alien concept, but there is millions of us. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, s- surround yourself in that. S- start small. I, like I said at the beginning of this call, I went half a day at a time, half a day, half a day, you know, and then get to seven days. And look, make a list of other ways to reward yourself. My reward was always, always drink, even though I drank the day before. So your reward might be a long lie or it might be a hot bath or it might be a new book that you want to get or a new record or it may be that you put that money aside and go for a massage at the end of the month. Remind yourself this is not a punishment. Like You are actually removing one thing and you're going to be welcoming in so much new stuff. And if at the time you think, I can't even imagine, don't worry about the how. Don't worry about how it's going to happen. Just focus on what you can control. Only focus on and what that is, is not drinking that day. And these other things will will start to come into their life. The biggest thing that people say to me the most that they worry about is, what are other people going to think? And I get that. I absolutely get that. Because every now and again, you'll get some arsehole that'll come along and say, oh, were you an alcoholic? Or, oh, you weren't that bad? Or, you're boring? That's their problem. Now, that's difficult to deal with, but that is their issue. That's not your issue. I'm quite a cheeky person, so I would just be cheeky back. But if somebody comes into your space and tells you, you know, why are you doing this? You're really, really boring. You can just say, listen, I know you're not getting it, but it's just something I really want to do. And I would appreciate your support. You know, look at it through the lens of love and just say, I know it's hard for you to understand, but just let me try this for a while because it's really important to me. Or if you want to be cheeky, just say to them, well, I find you boring when you're drunk. So there we go. But yeah, don't panic too much about what's going to happen in the future. Just allow yourself to enjoy every morning that you wake up and you didn't have a drink. Yeah, I agree.
2: So many people, and I used to worry about what would other people say. But in a way, when we do this, we're the rebels. I started drinking when I was quite young to be rebellious. But now it's the sober people that are rebellious because we're all programmed, aren't we, to drink, to drink. But it takes courage and confidence to do this. So, And there's more and more people doing it. And it, it does get easier. I think that's what people can't imagine when they're in very early sobriety. They think, oh, this is so hard. But obviously, the further down the road we get and when the benefits start coming in, we start thinking, oh, you know, my skin looks good. Oh, oh I've got so much energy. And you realise that you're
0: getting so much back from what you're doing. And that's why I believe that a gratitude practice is so important because we are pre to to look for the negative in things, to keep ourselves safe. <laughs> But if yeah. you're look, if you're doing your gratitude and you look back over a week, a fortnight, a month, you, go, oh my gosh, I brought that into my life because yeah. I stopped drinking. Allow yourself that journal or that, you know, that re- record of everything that has come to you. People will say, oh my god, you, look, you're looking well. You know what, what's going on? And I always say, oh, it's because I don't drink. Or people will say. I've, my dad looks really young for his age. People say, oh, God, you look, you look, you, I would never have thought you were whatever, 47, 46, 47. I say, well, it's because I don't drink. Because the picture of me when I was drinking looks nothing like this woman sat here. I was bloated. I was tired. And my eyes were grey, yellow, you know, I was, and it's, it's, you know, it's all because I stopped drinking.
2: Well, you certainly look great now. So, Kirsty, how can people find you? You've given us some great advice. I'm sure people would like oh. to connect with you. So
0: you're on Instagram. I am. Uh, only, I'm only on Instagram. I'm so bad with Facebook. So um, I'm on Instagram at Sober Buzz Scotland. And I'm also Sky Road Coaching. I'm always happy to chat if anybody wants to drop me a little message. I'll say hello. Tell me where you're from. I would, I would absolutely love that. Thank you for the share, Kirsty.
2: What an inspiration you are. So let's pull out some key points from that conversation. Kirsty started drinking at the age of 14. She took to alcohol with such enthusiasm that she ended up in hospital having her stomach pumped. And that one weekend changed the trajectory of Kirsty's schooling because previously she'd loved school and was doing well. But after the stomach-pumping incident, she found herself hanging out with the people she'd been drinking with. She just wanted to fit in. And we agreed that even when we get older, we still have that need to fit in. And one of the fears of quitting is around our identity. Who will I actually be if I don't drink? Who will my people be? And we agreed that we're both so blessed to be working in the recovery community Where we found our people and we get so much purpose from helping people to change their lives. Kirsty left school early and she went to live abroad at the age of 17. She drank heavily and took recreational drugs until she was 21. Returning to the UK, she fell in love and had a child. But by the age of 27, she'd separated from her partner and found herself as a single mom. And that's when she realized that she had a problem with alcohol and she didn't stop drinking until she was 41. That's 14 years of knowing but not changing. 14 years of thinking this isn't right, but feeling trapped because she had no idea how to make a change. I so identify with this, and in fact the average time that someone takes from the realisation that they have a problem and reaching out and making a change is 11 years. So if you're in that place of knowing that you have a problem, please reach out today. There is help available. Why not go to tribesober.com and join our free boot camp? So apart from not knowing how to quit, Kirsty's whole identity was wrapped up in being the party girl. There was also a dark side to the partying, which was when she drank alone. Kirsty was 33 when her mum died suddenly and her drinking got heavier. She had no sober people in her life, no role models showing her that an alcohol-free life was possible. She'd been to an AA meeting in her 20s, but was unable to relate to the people she found there. Like many of us, Kirsty started putting various rules in place around her drinking, but like many of us, she just ended up breaking them. One of the things that prevented her from getting help was the shame. She just didn't want to tell anybody how bad it had got. Another factor that kept her trapped was the thought that people would realise that she had a problem if she stopped. A lot of us get stuck with our drinking because of this. When we give up smoking, we get congratulated. But when we give up drinking, we just get lots of awkward questions. Kirsty was high-functioning and managed to hold down a job and maintain her single-parenting role. She also poured huge energy into keeping everybody happy so that no one questioned what was going on in her life. Without her mom to look out for her, Kirsty felt very alone. There was nobody close to her to see just how bad her drinking had got, nobody to advise her. So her final rock bottom came in December 2017. She woke up surrounded by empty bottles and drug paraphernalia. She got on her knees and asked for help. She knew that she just couldn't do this anymore. If you're listening to this and you've ever woken up feeling exhausted and hungover and felt like you just can't do this anymore, then please embrace that moment. It's your turning point, so don't ignore it. Reach out for some help. Kirsty reached out for some help that day. She signed herself into a crisis centre. She returned home and went cold turkey. We don't recommend this if you have been drinking heavily because it's a big risk. And in fact, when she saw a doctor, he told her she could have died. After drinking two to three bottles of wine plus some spirits in the day, she actually needed a medical detox. But thankfully, Kirsty did survive, although she describes her detox as hell. As she clocked up some alcohol-free time, she began to realise that it was not drugs or alcohol that she craved. It was love. One of the most wonderful things about sobriety is that we learn how to love ourselves again. It starts with the pride we feel as we achieve some sober time and stay on track. Kirstie had to figure out how to care for herself. So she started going to bed straight after dinner to avoid thinking about drinking. She drank lots of water, she ate good food, she began to be truthful with her friends and she began a journaling and gratitude practice. She took it hour by hour in those early days but it began to stick. The more time that passed since that last drink, the more space she got in her mind, the more space to reflect on what she really needed. A beautiful space, as she calls it. So for the first six months, her focus was on staying alive and not drinking. But when she got to six months, she realized, to her surprise, that she was doing sobriety, as she calls it. So she kept her head down and focused on getting to her first Soberversary. As she said, sobriety is a journey, not a destination. Drinking is about self-destruction, whereas recovery is about recovering our true selves. The interesting thing about recovery is that quitting the drink is about 10% of it. The other 90% is about rebuilding our lives building an alcohol-free life that we love, a life we don't want to escape from. When she hit a year of sobriety, Kirsty just knew she would never drink again. As she puts it, her life is so different. She describes it as night and day. Some of her friends began to express an interest in taking a break from alcohol, so she created an online community called SoberBuzz. They were holding sober events, but then the pandemic hit. So they shifted to Zoom meetings to support each other and share their experiences. That was more important than ever as people became isolated during the pandemic. We talked about the benefits of sobriety. For Kirsty, the fact that she now has an open line of communication with her daughter is a big one. Alcohol used to be the elephant in the room, but now they can talk honestly to each other. She's learned to love herself again and can look back on her life with compassion for that younger woman. She's escaped the shame cycle which was keeping her stuck. She loves the people she meets and gets to coach and support. We often say that at Tribe Sober. We get to create a family with a deep connection People from all over the world coming together to change their lives. People who understand each other and understand the struggle. I love Kirsty's description of sobriety as being the best life hack ever. Kirsty is a life coach working with people in sobriety who often say, well, I think I would like to be able to have a couple of glasses of wine now and again. We often hear that from our new members, but eventually they say, why would I even want to do that? That's the kind of mind shift that takes place once you start building your alcohol-free life. Because as we clock up our sober time, we realize that in fact we're gaining so much more than we're losing, and we don't want to give up all those benefits. You can find Kirsty on Instagram, at Scotland. And her website is Skyrose Coaching Co-UK. I'll put that in the show notes. So if that conversation has inspired you to start your sobriety journey, then check out our free boot camp. It's from the 2nd to the 6th of October. It takes place on a Facebook group, a private Facebook group, so your Facebook friends won't be able to see you. On there, you'll find five days of connection, training and tasks to get you started or restarted on your sobriety journey. And it's all absolutely free. So sign up today. What have you got to lose? Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see it on the homepage. So let me finish by reading out a couple of member messages. This is from our Sober On Ramp WhatsApp group. This is for our newbies. People who are clocking up their first 30 days of sobriety and they need lots of support and connection with each other. Once they've got to 30 days, we transfer them to another group. So that gives them a nice feeling of of progression and achievement. So here we have a message from Karen, who's ready to be promoted to the 30 Days Plus group. She says, Day 30 for me today and I'm feeling so good. I take each day as it comes, trying not to plan too far ahead. Socials have not been so bad, but I always have a plan ahead of what I'm going to say regarding not drinking. So many congrats on your 30 days, Karen. And you're right. Just take each day as it comes and try not to plan too far ahead. And now we have Leticia who says, hi to everyone. I don't post every day, but I do try and follow the posts. It's day 12 for me today. I feel on top of the world, mentally and emotionally. I'm waiting patiently for the physical healing to begin. Weekends have been quite daunting with lots of social activities. I found it easier to just leave gatherings earlier, particularly events at our clubhouse. I can just walk home when I need to escape. To the rest of the tribe, be strong just for today, because we can do it. Oh, thank you, Leticia. So that's the kind of awesome support and connection you find on our newbies group. If you want to try and clock up your first 30 days of sobriety, go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So that's it from me. I'll be back next week.
1: Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards. And that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.